Well, if you want to take your Bible, if you have a Bible with you, we are going to be back in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. So somewhere between Genesis 1 and 3. So last week, and we had spent a lot of we spent a lot of Wednesday nights walking through the Bible, walking through different books of the Bible. Then last last Wednesday, I said that uh, we were going to take a different turn, if you will, and we were going to do some character studies, about 30 different characters that you find either in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, both both places, but we're just going to look at some characters, some of the the different personalities that we see in the Bible. And when we do that, um, kind of there's there's three main questions that we're asking with each one of these characters. First question is, is who were they? Why do we know them? And what lessons do they teach us? So all of these characters, whether male or female, these three basic questions is what we're coming to. So some of these you're going to be very familiar with, and I know that you're very familiar with them. And then some of these you may not be as familiar with them. But the idea is is that Scripture is not only there to give us instruction, but we also can learn things about Scripture. And sometimes there's chapter and verse that we can learn from. There's examples and models from Jesus. But then also there are characters in Scripture that you and I can look to when we are going through life circumstances and we can see how they live, how God responded to them, how they responded to God, and all of that we can use as a teaching tool in how God responds to us and how we respond to God. Does that make sense? So like I was doing my basic training back in 1999, and I was up there in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and uh, got started, and it's you know eight, eight or nine weeks, and... Uh, there was an older gentleman. When I say older, that's relative. So in, in 99, you know, everybody was older at that point in my life. So so I'm sitting there, but there was an older gentleman, and I, I asked him very quickly, what are, you know, are you what are you here for? You know, like, is this your first time through? And he said, no. He had actually joined, went all the way through training, spent four years on active duty, got out of the military, and had spent enough time on the civilian side that when he decided to re-enlist, he missed the re-enlistment day by less than a week. Whereas if he had re-enlisted in a certain amount of time, he wouldn't have had to go back through all the training. He missed it by just under a week, so he is having to go all the way back through the training again. So what did I do? I said, you are my best friend, and I am stuck with you all the way through this training because I thought the guy's already been through it. He already spent four years on active duty. I'm going to stick right next to him because he knows the ins and the outs. He knows the ups and downs, and he knows all the tricks of the trade. So I stuck right on his hip pocket all the way through, and he, he he taught a lot. He taught me a lot, but I was able to use his experience, right? And I was able to use his background, and I was able to use his um, personality, if you will, to benefit me. So when we come to Scripture, God gives us, through the revelation of God's Word, He gives us these different characters to say, hey... You get to see how I interact with them, how they interact with me, and you get to use this as an example of then how I'm asking you to live. And so that's what the idea behind these character studies. So some of these you may say, well, that's a little bit simple. That's a little elementary spins. Maybe some of these are maybe something that uh, you go, well, I didn't think about that before. So last week... We started at the very beginning. We started with Adam. Adam was the first human ever created. Now this week, of course, it would just follow if we're just kind of going chronologically. We're going to be at Eve. So obviously, you know, I am going to assume that every single one of you in this room already know who Eve is. You already know the story about Eve. You already know blah, blah, blah. I know you got it all. But humor me. And let's, let's ask ourselves three questions. First question, 
Who was she? And we don't know exactly what year she was created. It doesn't tell us how long she lived. Does We know about her life, just a little bit of uh, information we get from Genesis 1 through Genesis 4, if you will. So we don't have as much biographical information even as we do of Adam. But we do know that she was, um, that, that she existed, that she was the husband of Adam. So who was Eve? Just give me some ideas. There's not, there's not a right answer, not a wrong answer. What do we know about her? Who was she? First woman. First woman, okay. First woman created by God. That's right, okay. So very first woman created by God. What else do we know about who she was? She was Adam's wife. Okay. Very good. Alright. Do what? Well, that is why we know her. We'll, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But like, who is she? She was mother of Cain and Abel. Mother, right? She was a mother of Cain and Abel. She was a mom. Okay. I mean, technically she would be the ultimate matriarch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. So let me let me put it to you like this. In scripture, it tells us. Uh, let me look here. Chapter two, uh, and let's say down here to verse eighteen. Okay. So chapter two and verse eighteen. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So, yes, first woman created, mom, etc., etc. But what I find to be interesting about Eve is that God gives an explicit reason why he is creating her. In other words, she was created for a purpose. Now that's something that I don't... It depends on how fine you want to slice it. But like if you think back to chapter 1 and uh, verse 26, um, when God talks about creating Adam, He just says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now you may say, well, so see, Spence, that there was a purpose, but it wasn't like God saw a need, and then said, Hey, i got all these animals, and nobody's taking care of the animals, I'm going to create man. But yet, when it came to Eve, God created Eve for a purpose. Adam was there. Adam did not have a helper suitable for Adam. He was There was a, a companion element that was missing in the life of Adam. And so God created Eve for a purpose. And He also created her with a purpose. So whenever she is formed and she is brought to the man, it says there in chapter two and verse twenty-four. Therefore, the man, or therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And he and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So we think about who Eve was. Yeah, she was the first woman that's created. But think about the idea that when God creates, He creates with a purpose. You know, He creates. With a plan. And I know, I hope, I hope you've heard me say it before, but every single one of us in this room were created by God, and God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And sometimes we are tracking and we are following that plan and purpose that God has for our lives. Sometimes we 
turn the other direction for a season. Sometimes we turn the other direction for an extended season. Uh, it, it can go back and forth, but at the same time, we're reminded through Scripture, and we get this example right here when it comes to Eve, is that, yes, she was created, the first female created. Yes, she was created as a helper for Adam. Yes, she was created as the mother of all humanity. But what a what a awesome thing it is that when God created her, He created her with a purpose and with a plan. There is not another species of creation that God says the same thing about. You think about it. In the creation account, when God creates the fish, it doesn't say anything in the story about God created the fish for a purpose and with a plan. When God created the the sheep, didn't create it with a plan and with a purpose. When God created the dinosaur, did not create it with a plan and a purpose. And yet when God created woman, He created woman with a plan and a purpose. I think that that is just a fascinating picture of the dignity of people. I think sometimes we overlook that fact of who we are being created by God. And sometimes we just skip over that all too quickly. So, we ask the question, well, who was she? Well, yes, she was Eve. Yes, she was the the wife of Adam. Yes, she was the first female created by God. Yes, she was the mother of all of the rest of humanity. Yes, yes, yes. But I don't want you to just move past the picture that God says there in chapter 2 that, hey, I uh, need to make a helper fit for him. That's verse 18 of chapter 2. And he goes on and he talks about how he formed her and he gives the instruction of why he formed her and what he did with her and then and what her plan and her purpose for her life was. And I think that is such a beautiful picture that we um, can use to tell other people that they have been created with a plan and a purpose. Every single one of them been created with a plan and a purpose. And, I, and I've said this before, you know, we look at our, our high school students like that are down there or the younger children that are upstairs and we will talk about what you want to do your life when you grow up. And we want to talk about vocations and we want to talk about professional lives. And we want to talk about this and we want to talk about that. And rarely, rarely do you talk about what you're going to do for the kingdom of God. And we miss that opportunity to talk about, yes, what are you going to do so that to fund your service for God. Because everybody's been created with a plan and purpose. Okay, so we talked about, that's a little brief um, covering of who she was, but then let's get to maybe uh, the more familiar area of why do we know her? So who she was, why do we know her? She ate the apple. Was it an apple? Not really. It was a so why does the apple get the bad rap? Starts with A. It starts with A? Okay. So does asparagus. That's a vegetable though, isn't it? Apricot? Spell it. A-P-R-I-C-O-T. I-T? 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 Is that what you're wanting? Anyways. So, I, you know, I always wonder, because we all, we, all of us including Ms. Lois, all of us assume it was an apple. But it just says fruit, that's right. It just says that she ate of the fruit. We automatically jump, that we assume it is an apple. I always think maybe that's a, unfair to the apple, that we automatically assume that it wasn't a banana, or it wasn't a peach, or it wasn't a pear, you know, or, or something like that. We just assume it's the apple. But, okay, so we know her because she ate of the fruit. What else? What else do we know her? 
would be another reason that you would know who she is. The mother of Cain and Abel. Okay, the mother of Cain and Abel. And also the mother of Seth, right? And then also there was other children born to her. In fact, uh, let's say here... Verse 3 of chapter 5, it says, When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son of his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam, um, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So, uh, apparently, there were other children that were brought to the mix because later it talks about how Cain married a wife, and there's always been speculation about, oh, well, where did where did Cain's wife come from? Where did Seth's wife come from? And so there's some people that, I'm just going to call them liberal um, unbiblical people that will go like, so when God created, He created different pockets of creation and all these different people. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said He created Adam and Eve. And at 900 years, I'm assuming, I think it's not a stretch to think that Adam and Eve could have had more than three kids in 900 years. Surely, surely it is physically possible to have more than three kids in 900 years. So, I don't think it's a stretch to think that they had multiple children. And you think, well, isn't that kind of yuck thinking about then those, those marital relations? There wasn't a lot of options, okay? There, there, there was just pretty, you know, it was a pretty tight-knit group, if you will. Alright, so we know her because, yes, she's a mother of humanity. Um, she was the, uh, like Mr. Brown said, she was the ultimate matriarch. She was the one that ate the fruit. She was also the first animal whisperer. Right? <laughs> right? Right? I mean, like you see people on TV, right? What is his name? I think his name's Caesar. Is that his name, Caesar? Names are not animals. They're reptiles. They're creatures. Well, at the time, though, it had feet. Yeah, I don't care. So it wasn't a belly crawler at the time. But, I mean, isn't that, isn't that the guy today? His name's Caesar that supposedly can talk to dogs and, like, has some little special connection with, with the dogs kind of thing? I mean, so you think about it. She was the first one. So in Adam, it tells you there in chapter 2 that God brought all the animals in front of Adam, and Adam named all the animals. It doesn't give us any indication that when he's bringing the animals that Adam is talking to the animals, right? And yet, when you get to chapter 3, here comes the snake walking along. And what happens? Eve starts talking to the snake. Right? It's like she is the first animal whisperer recorded in Scripture. What else do we know about... What? Why else do we know about Eve? It's going to be a long 45 minutes. She was cursed. She was cursed? That's right. Right. She was the, she was the first human... To be judged by God. Because if you look at the narrative there in chapter 3, as soon as they eat the fruit and they lose the innocence, they go and they hide themselves. Here comes God walking in the garden. He calls out to Adam. Adam pokes around and says, well, we hid because we are naked. And he says, who told you that you were naked? And then Adam blames the woman. The woman blames the snake. God looks at the snake, curses the snake. But then instead of going to Adam first, he goes to Eve first. She is the first human ever recorded to be judged by God. So, you know, there's lots of things that we would know her for. We know her because, obviously, the wife of Adam, the mother of, well, 
All of us, genetically, all of us genetically, we're brothers and sisters then, right? Cousins. Long distance cousins then. Right? Genetically. Yes? No? Yes? Okay. That's a whole bunch of peoples. Okay, so we're all cousins of the room. So it doesn't matter who you marry in this world. You're marrying a cousin of, of, of some relation. Is that, is, that, is that fair to say? All right? Right? If we're all cousins, then we're all marrying with cousins, right? All right, so, so we think about different, different things. I think it's kind of weird. But, however, however, so we think about why we know her. Okay, so she was Mother Humanity. She was the first one um, to... Sin against God, if you will. The first human to sin against God. She was the first one to be judged by God. She was the one that ate the fruit. Anybody ever wonder why the snake went to her first? Because she influenced. She's got good influence over her. Okay. <laughs> well, apparently, if you say that she could talk to the animals, that means that he couldn't talk to Adam. He had to talk to her. <laughs> that, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. <laughs> in there, but I think it's interesting that the text doesn't the text doesn't give us any indication that she was scared or frightened of the snake. Now I know that you know like Denise said, well maybe that's because all the animals talk. Eh, maybe. I don't know. I mean that, that's 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 an idea. That's that that's an idea. We can put that idea here. At the same time another idea is that because in the state of innocence, because evil had not come into the world, like like you well, said, there was no death. There was the no death. Didn't kill each other. There is no carnivores. There was no fear. Right. Of of there was no fear of anything. So it wasn't like there was the things that we have today where we are scared of 
threats, physical threats, physical harm. There was none of that. That, that. that did not exist. And so to me, I don't think that we, like even in this room, that we can even conceive of the idea of going through life without having a fear of the world around us. I think we've, we've never been in that environment. We've never been in that world to ever have a, a concept of what that is like. Like I have thought when I've sat there and watched the birth of these children, I've wondered what it was like to go from being inside the mother, the first breath is what I'm trying to get at. Because that, that baby comes out, right? That baby comes out and that doctor's sitting there and they catch it and they pull it out, you know, and, and they crimp the umbilical cord and they usually, you know, get the, you know, jumpstart the baby and that baby breathes that first breath. And I think to myself, that baby has never breathed air, atmospheric air like this ever before. The whole last nine months, it has been in vitro in vitro it has been um, in you know inside the mother and so that first breath I wonder if there's any kind of that is different that is different than anything I've ever experienced before and when you get here and the snake comes to Eve of course in my sarcasm and in my cynicism I'm like well that's dumb why wouldn't she run it's talking snake that's the first time but if you slow down and you think, A snake comes, why isn't she fearful? It's because she has no concept of what it is to be fearful because there is complete innocence. We have no clue what it's like to be in complete innocence. Now, will we someday know what it's like to be in complete innocence? You think, do you think that we will have memory of what it was like without innocence and then we'll know what it is like with innocence and so we'll build on the difference, you think? I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, you know, because when it talks about the end of Revelation that everything is restored and we are back in that perfect union with God, I wonder if it is like a men in black type of thing where they, you know, where God, where God pulls you up and says, look at the light and boom, and he wipes out your memory so you have no clue what it is like the old wretched sinful self and all you know now is perfect union with God or if you are there and you're getting to experience that that innocence and that perfect union with God and then you get to know how rich it is because you know what it wasn't before. And when you reverse that, where Eve knew what it was before and she had no idea what it was like living in separation from God and she went from the bliss to the pain and we get to go from the pain to the bliss. It says there will be no tears Yes, ma'am. So if we had memories of everything that went on on this earth, I think we'd be crying about ourselves. That, that's a good, that's a very good that's a very good possibility. Yeah, we couldn't be innocent if we knew other innocence. Okay. I think His glory wipes out all our sin and our hurt and our tears, and you know, there's no turning back. Right. Hmm. I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I think it's a. I think sometimes in our humanity, we are. We can't grasp it. We what? We cannot grasp it. We cannot grasp it. Yes, ma'am. But I, I think sometimes we're um, lazy thinkers. Does that make sense? We're, we're lazy thinkers because we are just we are conditioned where everything is told us. 
and we don't have to ponder and we don't have to consider and we don't have to wrestle with things. So sometimes it's just like, what does this verse mean? Go find the study Bible and look at the answer. Or what does this thing mean? Let's just look it up on an internet browser and do an internet search and find out what it means. What does this mean? Let's just go ask the Sunday school teacher, the deacon, or the preacher and go off that way. We really don't spend the time to really just marinate with it and and struggle with it. And so like here, thinking about Eve and thinking about when the snake comes to her and the fact that she doesn't run, the fact that the text doesn't say, no, I'm not saying she didn't. I'm just saying going off what the text says, um, verse 1 of chapter 3, this is how Moses records it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, now, that begins a, a discourse in verse 1 all the way down through um, verse 6 that the Satan, or that Satan in the form of the snake was talking to Eve. Now, we know that Adam was there because it says there in verse 6, she took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we know that Adam was there, but it doesn't give us any indication that when the snake comes to Eve, that Eve looks at Adam and goes, can you imagine this snake's talking to me? Or that Adam looks at her and says, what are you doing talking to the snake? Or Adam looks at the snake and says, what are you doing talking to my wife? I mean, it was just like, there was a very I don't want to add, but it was almost like there was an innocence or a um, naiveness. Like, the snake isn't the problem. Like, they did not grasp the idea that the snake was the issue. I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe that's a, uh, maybe I'm, I'm grasping at straws there. But what happened? Um, the whole question was, is the fruit, God said, don't touch the fruit. That comes out of chapter 2, um, verse 15, all the way down through verse 17. God put the man in the garden, showed, put him the trees, the knowledge of good and evil said, do not eat of the fruit. Of, when you eat of the fruit, on the day you'll eat of it, you shall surely die. Then you get here to chapter 3, and the serpent comes and says, did God actually say, this is verse 1, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? So he is questioning the Word of God. He's questioning exactly what, how God said it and the way that God said it. And he's twisting the words of God to try to manipulate in what he is trying to say. So notice, did God say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No. What he's doing, he's twisting God's word. He's manipulating God's word. That's a hallmark trait of a false teacher or a deceiver is they do not deny God's word, but they twist God's word. They manipulate God's word. So, says, hey... Did God say you shall? Uh, did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? Verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden or in the midst of the garden. Neither say you touch it, lest you die." And then Satan says, "Ah, oh, God's just holding back on you." Yes, ma'am. I don't know where it says that God said not to touch it. He didn't. Right. Right. So she added that. So she added the portion there in verse 3. Neither shall you touch it. God had told him back in chapter 2, don't eat of the fruit or you'll die. Satan comes, twists words, and she says, we can't touch it, we can't eat it or touch it. You're getting manipulations of God's Word. That's how 
start twisting things around and start playing gymnastics with God's Word. The next thing you know, we find ourselves tied up in a pretzel. It's like playing the old game Twister. The first Pharisee. The first Pharisee, that's right. Was she there? She was not there yet when God said it. Right. So she would have gotten it from Adam. Because chronologically in chapter 2, verse 15 down to verse 17, God gives the instruction to Adam, puts him in the garden, gives the instruction to Adam. And then it is not so when you get down to verse 21 that he caused he caused the deep sleep and the and the rib to be to be formed in a woman. So if you take it literally and chronologically, Adam, or Eve was not there when God gave the original instruction to Adam. But obviously at some point Adam had said, Eve, we can't do that. God said don't. So the question was, is are you going to eat the fruit or are you not? Now he didn't add God told her he shall, she shall not touch it. That wasn't added. Where do you see it? She uh, cannot touch it. Verse 3, 2. Verse 3, 3. Is that right? Chapter 3. That's what she that's says what she about says. God. But if you go to chapter 2 and verse 15 through 17, that's where God tells Adam. Okay, sorry. So, no. Yeah, why? Okay, so. It's like telephone. You know how that works? And we know that there's a direction, so I'm just saying. So see, Miss Denise, I've been very good at, uh, at, at keeping, at, at staying away from the misogynistic jokes. And here you are baiting me. I don't understand why you got to bait me here. I, I'm doing really good about not being chauvinistic. She didn't even tempt her with that statement. She completely added that herself. Right. Right. I think the men did it. So the apple or the fruit, she was already lying. Right. So well, we know that, though. Just because that's but so we know me and Adam didn't tell her that she's not supposed to touch it. It's just because Adam tells us what Adam told her. Sure. Adam very well may have been told her but, supposed to touch it. He doesn't get anything. But at the same time, when God comes down and judges them, God doesn't judge them because they touched it. Yeah. Right. right. And when you look at it, I mean, we ask, yeah, I mean, I've got it. You can <laughs> look here in my text. I mean, I've got it circled where she said, neither shall you touch it because that is different than what he said over here in chapter 2. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, when you get to chapter 3 when God comes down and judges them he doesn't come and say hey you touched it he just comes and says you ate of the fruit that I told you not to eat yes ma'am you had said that they turned me into slave so he must have been in a human form when she first talked to him well it says in chapter 3 and verse 1 well, I just go by where it says, The Lord said, Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast. And upon thy belly shall thy go, and thus shall thy eat all the days of my life. So, the way that I understand that, Miss Emma, is that at that point the snake had legs. And then the curse was is that the legs were removed from the snakes. So, it was like you had giant lizards running around everywhere. And then when the, when God cursed the snake or cursed the serpent, took the legs off, and then the snake goes down. That's probably That's... a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Take them as a <laughs> They're already fast. Last night, and I, I, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my phone in my mouth to go to sleep, and I get this text message from this sweet individual that goes to this church, 
And I opened this text message up, and it was like one of those things like you click on, it's like a video. And like I said, I'm trying to get my thumb on my mouth so I can go to sleep. And I click on the video, and it's this individual on their back porch with a bull snake that's probably five foot long holding this snake going, you know, like, like nanny nanny boo boo. And I was like... Their house is like four miles from mine. Now I'm thinking about how I got to move because I know that thing's in the neighborhood, right? I mean, but I'm thinking, here it is, and how am I supposed to go to sleep now when I know there's this big old bull snake within five miles of my house? I mean, how's a guy supposed to get any sleep? Oh, terrible. It's just that. Anyways, all right, so y'all get me distracted. Anyways. So when we think about why do we know her, we know her because of the big event that happened in chapter 3. And, the, and the what took place and how we, we could spend um, as much time as you wanted to. You could spend time thinking about uh, what that was like whenever she is there and she is in total innocence. She hadn't known sin at all. She had never known separation with God. Um, we get the impression that God would come down and commune with her and Adam and they were in perfect unity and they innocence and, they, and there was no separation, no animosity. I mean, can you imagine they were... Perfect of their own. They were perfect together. The idea of a husband and wife in perfect unity. I just, that's just, that is just a fascinating thought. I mean, because really, I mean, it wasn't like he got mad at her. She didn't get mad at him. He didn't annoy her. She didn't annoy him. I mean, all these things that we just consider as being part of the joy of perseverance. All of that stuff is wiped away. And you have two people living in perfect harmony with each other, living in perfect harmony with God, and living in perfect harmony with creation. They're not worried about biting ants. They're not worried about snakes. They're not worried about ticks. They're not worried about anything because they are in perfect harmony 100% of the time. I think that is fascinating to think about. And then with one bite of the fruit, everything changed. So you get down there in chapter 3, God curses. God curses the snake. That is verse 14. Um, says, all this is what's going to happen. Verse 15, um, you'll see in some um, highbrow academic Bible scholars, they will call that the proto-evangelion, which means the first gospel, the first giving of the gospel, because in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that last part of it, verse 15, the, the Bible scholar says, that's God saying, Jesus is going to come and He's going to bruise your head, but you're going to bite at His heel. Talking about the crucifixion. So they said this is the very first time that God references the gospel. Then you get down to verse 16 and you see the curse. You see the curse that comes to the woman. Which has always been striking for me because when I'm in the hospital, I'm the one to blame. <laughs> And I've always thought to myself, this is probably not the time to say, honey, biblically that's incorrect. (laughs) If you guys had done what you were supposed to do and protect us from the serpent, it would have happened. Potentially. I mean, potentially. So it says, 
What does it say in verse 16? I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In your pain you should bring forth children. And then this is even more, I think, important. The second part of verse 16 and the first part. Something that we very rarely think about or consider. Um, God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Uh, it's this idea that we wonder why we have such strife and conflict between men and women. Um, many times it's unhealthy. Many times it's unbiblical. But at the same time, there's conflict and strife. Society, culture, in the home, um, part of it is the effect of the curse. That's what he says to the wife. What he says to Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So you will desire to domineer over him, but yet he will be given... He will be given headship over you and that will cause friction and that will be an ongoing friction. This reality of what we are dealing with with the curse. Then he goes to Adam. Then what is he going to be doing? Well, um, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So we think about Eve. Uh, we think about who she was. We think about why do we know her. But then I want us to consider just for a few moments about some lessons that we can learn from the life of Eve. So verse 20 goes on, um, gives us the instruction about how then Adam and Eve been conceived. They had Cain, then they had Abel. Cain killed Abel. So then they had Enoch, um, or not, not, no, not Enoch, Seth. And it was Seth that the lineage then traveled through all the way down through Jesus and did not go through Cain. Obviously it could not go through Abel, so it went actually through Seth. Um, gives us instruction there in chapter 5 that they had other um, sons and daughters, and then the population of the earth then takes off. You get to Genesis chapter 5, you get the genealogy that records all the way down from Adam, um, all the way down to Noah in verse 32 gets us, takes us from Adam all the way to Noah, and that's where it starts the next big season of time. Yes, sir? Before we get too far, how long, do you have any idea how long Eve was on the earth before she ate the fruit? I mean, how long were they together? It doesn't say. All it tells us is that we know how long Noah, or I mean, we know how long Adam lived because it tells us there in chapter 5 and verse 5 that he lived 930 years. But there's nothing biblically. Now you can find someone that postulates, theorizes, and you can have people that will try to guess. But we don't have anything scripture that says how long they lived in the garden before the fall. And we don't have anything that says how long they lived after the fall before they started having children. I mean, because 930 years, I mean, you could have lived. And the 930 years, did that start at the fall? Because before that, they would have been eternal beings. Internal or immortal? Eternal. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know when the time when the time started. So I, I'm not really sure, Ben, as far as how long they were in the garden, and then then they got pushed out of the garden, and how long they lived before they started having children. Um, it doesn't tell us. Um, we can guess and we can assume, but there's nothing that gives us gives us numbers. So, alright, so think about who she was, think about why do we know her, and then let's, let me just kind of give you some thoughts or maybe some things, some reflections as far as what lessons does she teach us. The, fir- the first one I want to kind of get you to think about is that 
she shows us God's standard for obedience. God said, don't eat of the fruit. And when she ate of the fruit, God said, I told you not to eat of the fruit. And then therefore, there was consequences. God didn't count. You know, I've got, I've got some relations of mine that do the counting thing. And, and some of you in this room do the counting thing. And I'm just, that's silly. Stop. But for the rest, but I, I got some relation. I got some relation. And they do the count thing. And so, uh, cousin, nephew, niece, whatever, don't do that. One, two, three. The kid knows they got till three. So when you start at one, the kid's like, I'm not even listening to you. You haven't even finished two yet. But we train them that obedience is not immediate. Well, here, how many bites did it take for then God to judge Eve? Now, she may have... She may have ate the entire fruit. She may have taken one bite and go, ooh, this is terrible. What have I done? And threw it down. We don't know. All we do know is that she won sin and then there was consequences and punishment from God for one sin. You know, sometimes we start to think, well, God ought to judge us on a curve or God ought to judge us based upon our good deeds versus our bad deeds or God is being overbearing for this situation or that situation. Eve reminds us and Eve teaches us that God has a standard for obedience. And that standard then is still the same standard today. Why do I know that? Because God is the same then as He is now. The justice of God is the same now as it was then. So what that means for you and I is that how many sins does it take for us to be under the wrath and judgment of God? One sin. Have we already already used up that one sin? Yes. But that also shows us just how big of a deal sin is to God. We take it flippantly. Way too flippantly in this world. Entirely too flippantly in this world. Can you imagine if we treated sin like we did COVID two years ago? You know, in March of 2020, none of us had any idea what was right, what was wrong, what was credible, what wasn't credible. March of 2020, they are telling us that this thing is going to wipe out definitely the elderly. Then the compromised, the health compromised, and then anybody is going to have a rough go of it. And we didn't really know one way from the other. We, we had no clue what was going to be there and everybody was in a, a, some form of a state of a panic. Right? Because there's just the unknown. We don't know what is safe. We don't know what isn't safe. And all of us lived in a certain atmosphere of unknown and it even got to the point that we started looking at everybody like, well, d- should I stay away from them? I mean, they could be sick. They could have it. And you know, there was a season of time that you didn't dare cough in public because then you were going to be labeled as, right? You I mean, you just sneezed in public. They're like, whoo, whoo, whoo. I mean, and it, that, that was the attitude, right? And can you imagine if we had that same, that, that same atmosphere when it came to sin? We want to be so far away from sin. We want to be so far removed from sin that we have no desire to even get close to us. So when Eve, Eve takes one bite. Now I don't know about you, but I look at it and I'm like, God, it was one bite. 
It wasn't like she chopped the tree down. It wasn't like she took the fruit and started selling it on a roadside fruit stand. It wasn't like she said, oh, God doesn't exist and rebelled against God. She took one bite out of one fruit and from that, the seriousness of obedience to God and it shows us that disobedience is defined by God. God defined what marked obedience and disobedience, not her. See, Satan, his whole goal is to try to manipulate the Word of God so that we start to think or believe that this action or behavior or attitude is not sin when God's Word said it is sin. And that's what Satan is doing. Satan is coming in and he is saying, you know what? Eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God said don't do it, that is not, that is not wrong. You can do it. So what he's doing is he's twisting around what God's Word says to say that what God said is wrong and what God said is disobedience is not really disobedience. And that is still the play that is going on today. Satan is still trying to get you and I to justify or to excuse or to rationalize our disobedience to God. And we do it in a lot of different ways. We do it by you looking at me and going, well, you know what, everybody else is doing it, so why shouldn't I do it? Or, well, I could do a lot worse. I get so tired of these these boys that are living in my household, and I'll say something about, you know what, you better fix your attitude. And, and a couple, just a couple of times, I've got this, I've got this response. Well, my attitude could be worse. <laughs> and your altitude could be a lot less. I mean, we can just, but that, that's the attitude, right? You've heard it on the job site. Well, if they don't like this gear, they're surely they're surely not going to like the next gear. I mean, we have this attitude, kind of like, well, just just challenge me and. I, and I'll still buck the system, right? And so we sometimes do that. We sometimes think, well, God, I am trying. Or God, I've done enough. Or God, I'm doing more than I did yesterday. Or God, I'm doing more than someone else. Or God, you can't expect this much out of me. We start to rationalize. We start to do all these things to try to justify our disobedience to God. And right here, Eve is reminding us that disobedience is a big deal and God defines disobedience. And there's going to come a day that we will stand before God. And we will fully understand the impact and the magnitude of our sin. And there will be coming a day that we will understand in a way that we've never understood before. The breath of God's holiness. And the holiness that you and I have rebelled against, the holiness that you and I have denied, the holiness that you and I have blasphemed, the holiness that you and I have taken for granted. There's going to come a day that we will see this and we will know without a shadow of a doubt the effect of our sin, the impact of our sin, and the holiness of God. Last one. So Eve's there. Serpent comes. Oh, we can... We can Kick around the idea of why didn't she run? Why, why did she not go? Hey, this is weird. Why, why is the snake talking to me? I just want you to see, uh, before any of that, recognize there's a danger in listening to the wrong voices. There's a danger in listening to the wrong voices. I mean, we all, um, there's some voices we just, 
we just listen to and we never ask the question, is this a voice that is pointing me to God or is this a voice that is pointing me away from God? And it's not, it's not whether, but which. Which way is that voice directing me? Which way is that voice leading me? I think it's gotten worse. I don't think it's. I don't think it's ever been as innocent as people like to think. You know, but once upon a time, news and information was considered a whole lot more objective than it is today. I don't think it was ever completely objective. I don't think your three major ABC, NBC, and CBS. I mean, I think that all three of them, when they had their nightly news and Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw and I don't know what the other one was. What? Never mind. All right. So you know, but I don't think they were ever fully, fully objective. You know, as far as they didn't care. But I think now, whatever source you're going to for information has an agenda. They have, they they have a philosophy. They have an ideology that they are going for. And they're aiming for something. I remember growing up, my dad would make us listen to National Public Radio all the time. All the time. And National Public Radio has has a slant. It has a twist to it. PBS has a twist to it. Everything now has a twist to it. So it's important that we consider who we're listening to because there's a danger in listening to the wrong voices. And that is why I encourage you and I plead with you that when you start your day off, you start your day off with God's Word. Because if you're going to start off listening to voices... Why not spend or start why not start your day listening to the voice of your creator? Why not start your day off listening to God's word? How I know you say, well, you know, I don't have time, and that's just not my thing, da 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 da. Well, make it your thing. Start. You're gonna, you're gonna start the day and you are going to listen to something. Why not start at listening to God's word? So Eve. Eve is an example. Not only does the stuff that we, we know about, but she's also an example of the danger of listening to the wrong voices. And so I hope in this world there's so many voices fighting for our attention, fighting for our headspace. Um, one guy talks about um, for the through the eyes and through the ears for the domination of the key terrain of the mind. All those voices are bombarding us, trying to get into us. That we take time and we listen to the voice of truth. We listen to the voice of hope. We listen to the voice of love. We listen to the voice um, that knows what is best for us. Questions, thoughts, pushbacks?